Hey, Stuart. How are you doing? I'm all right, TJ. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm very, very busy. June is turning out to be possibly the busiest month I've ever had. Well, that's got to be a good thing, surely. It's a good thing and a bad thing, but mostly a good thing. It's mostly a busy thing. A busy thing. Okay, well, we'll take busy. (laughs) Busy's better than bored. This is very true. I'm not complaining. I'm merely observing. And you're now in a different country than when we last spoke? I am now in sunny... Well, actually, no, I'm not. I'm in dark Cyprus. Uh, It's... (laughs) It's way past my bedtime, I don't mind saying. Yeah, but, sorry uh, about time zones. I had my afternoon zones. nap. Um, I didn't overdrink the Carlsberg at uh, dinner. So um, I'm in pretty good form, pretty warm, I have to say. It's uh, just gone 10 o'clock and we're at sort of 22 degrees. That's quite pleasant. Uh, Celsius, which, yeah, which in, in Fahrenheit is, I don't know what. Oh, and there's a, there's a stray cat who's just tried to come into my little studio here. Uh, he's obviously <laughs> quite enticed by the light. Um, Podcat straight into a mosquito screen. <laughs> Sorry, Podcat. What do you say? Oh, Podcat, Podcat. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, yeah, I think because this house is uh, usually not occupied, the the sort of neighbourhood cats have adopted it as their as their hunting territory. I think they're oh, quite put out by us being here. To be honest, and now you're just right in the middle of their normal. The normal stomping grounds. Absolutely, yeah. Like I say, he had a he had a very imperious look. Only cats can be very imperious. I don't know if you've ever had a cat, but um, they they kind of rule you rather than the other way around. And this one was was definitely looking at me as to say, "What are you doing? Why have you got that light on? It's ridiculous, absurd." Um, You're in my territory. Outside of my outside of my door here. Oh, well. <laughs> Maybe you'll come in later. So are you writing? And uh, are you writing on something with something? I am. I am. I um, I did a I did a blog post on this actually. So uh, anybody that reads my blog will know that uh, I've got a Walden, which is the two hundredth birthday edition of uh, Henry D. Thoreau uh, by Write Pads, Write Notepads, and Company. Uh, this was their big limited edition last year. Oh, when I say big, it was their small limited edition last year. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the opposite got, of limited. Uh, yeah, I've got, I've got a couple left. Um, and I, I really like them. They're lovely books. They're, they're in my sort of newfound um, plain format. Um, and, well, courtesy of an addiction caused by you, um, I'm trying a new pencil, or new <laughs> to me at least, which is a Tombow Mono 100. Uh, in B grade. Oh, lovely pencil. Uh, and I have to say, very nice. Very swish. Liking this quite a lot. I think it's up there with the black wings in terms of quality and presentation. Yeah, um, you're about to hear a, a black wing pencil case being opened live. There we go. Um, oh, very good. Yeah, it's it's a very nice pencil. It's got that sort of softness of the black wing as well. Um and the sort of smooth writing action. It's, uh, yeah, I'm very impressed. Very nice pencil, which I'm now going to sharpen. Uh, oh, look at this, all the signs. What effects. about you? What are you writing with and on? Uh, mostly Forest Choice in my field notes. Hostel is the, the combo at the moment. Uh, I'm taking a, a leaf out of your notebook and trying to use my pocket notebooks up with a bit more speed 
because I'm finding that I I kind of I've set the bar for what needs a note quite high and so now I'm writing in them less and less when I really should be it's not because I don't need them it's because I keep forgetting stuff and going I really should have written that down so I've lowered the bar <laughs> in terms of what gets written down to facilitate the speeding up of notebook page filling well, you're soon approaching that age, i.e. my age, when you can get up in the morning and the first thing you do is write down your name uh, and then write down the date. And then you've got a fighting chance of getting the day off to a good start. Then. Yeah. Life life hack. Tattoo those in your left hand. Sorted. <laughs> what, your name or the date? Both. One on each arm. You need a big arm for those dates. <laughs> so, yeah, we were talking about dates and age the other day in August. I am turning the dreaded 27. Not that that's a particularly dreaded age, but it's just we're getting t- closer to that big three zero. 27. Good. Uh, positively ancient. <laughs> I feel it sometimes. Oh, old age pension is, oh, let's think if you're, I think for a 26 year old, you probably get to retire when you're about 132, I think is the new suggestion. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, at least I lived 130 something. Oh, absolutely. I think by then you'd be living forever. Fingers uh, crossed. The, um, yeah. Have, having dinner with Elon Musk each night. On Mars. Quite possibly. <laughs> Watching? What are you watching? You watching anything good? Yeah, mostly um, informative, so non-fiction, I guess. Um, how-to videos and how to solder keyboards together. Um, recently got into mechanical keyboards, uh, so I'm hopefully going to integrate them into one of my projects. So I was looking at the little, um, they're called Gator on Blue switches, which is a particular switch it uses, and how to solder those onto a board to then use with a like a microcomputer a Raspberry Pi or an Arduino or something. So lots of technical how-to stuff, um, trying to teach myself bits and pieces. Um, and then some other stuff for another work project, watching a lot about Inform7, which is a, a natural language coding language, basically, uh, that you can write basically text-based adventure games, but you write it in natural language. So playing around with that and, and reading up on that at the minute and watching things on that, so bit varied but different all non-fiction okay sounds pretty cool and then oh, what have i got here a tj spotify playlist what's that well i know what a spotify <laughs> playlist is but what's the one you're listening to so the one i'm listening to is called lost in the woods which is kind of like a weird quite mellow album of vaguely folky songs um that i found just on the spotify kind of discovery list it's quite good for relaxing sort of a sunny afternoon i find it's quite enjoyable um certainly the spotify curated playlists i find are actually quite good We're putting you in touch with music you wouldn't necessarily listen to of your own volition so this one is a little sure. different not necessarily things i would pick myself but hearing them in the context of a, a playlist for a certain genre almost it's quite nice so i'll put this one in the show notes i really quite enjoy it. it's quite mellow quite relaxed and uh, good background music on a on a sunny day, which we've thankfully been having a few of. Good look, sunshine in Northern Ireland. I know it's yeah. We don't know what to do with ourselves. Everyone's cooked. <laughs> I, I did actually catch sight of a couple of people today who um, 
I'm guessing arrived in Cyprus similar time as I did a couple of days ago um, and have been perhaps a little bit less careful in the sun than I've been. <laughs> uh, and they looked, yep, properly, properly poached. Yeah, what temperature is it during the day there? Uh, well, it's um, uh, one of my affectionate nicknames for the wife is uh, the goddess of thunder because she has A, a bit of a temper and B, an ability to bring uh, rainy weather to Cyprus, which <laughs> we really could start charging for. Um, the amount of places that we've been where they go, oh, it hasn't rained for months. And then within about 20 minutes of Margaret landing, uh, there's torrential downpours. <laughs> Um, and similarly, Cyprus is in a drought, uh, and they're talking about water rationing, which is not that unusual here, to be honest, but sort of next year. Um, and yeah, the last couple of days, there've been thunderstorms. Wow. Um, courtesy, uh, of the goddess of thunder. Um, so it's been, I suppose, high twenties, um, in, in Celsius, uh, with the occasional break for thunder, but it's it's that sort of thunderstorm that's it's big on noise. You get the odd flash, and then maybe sort of fifteen drops of rain. Uh, okay. Uh, so not not ideal for the water situation, but not really unusual much. nevertheless for this time of year. Um, at the end of this week, we're looking to peak at I think about thirty four, thirty five. Um, wow. And it's yeah, it's summertime now, sort of essentially June. July, August, September are just hot, hot, hot uh, with with no rain. That does not sound like it's overly pleasant for an extended period of time. Yeah, it's one of those things where um, if you've if you've been here sort of through March and April and May, then you've acclimatized a little bit. Oh, okay. Um, I think I think it's bearable, but it certainly it, uh, as a youngster, I once came here in August. Uh, you know, on on a jet plane for two weeks of uh, drinking Carlsberg and lying on a beach, and that is that is one heck of a shock for your body when you walk out of the <laughs> the aircraft and it's high thirties, um, and depending on the month, either very very humid or very very dry. Either way, it's hot. Yeah, um, and yeah, wow. that's a real struggle. Um, certainly, the Cypriots. Um, in August, you'll see uh, a lot of them head head inland. They head for the mountains just to get a little bit of uh, breeze and a little bit cooler air. Can't blame them. Um, whilst the beaches are packed out by, by dopey British tourists <laughs> um, slowly <laughs> cooking themselves. Fair enough. What are you watching yourself? Uh, well, we... Um, for some reason, I think both Margaret and I had it in our heads that there'd been like four... Seasons of the Crown. So we got to the end of season two, um, and there was much swearing at uh, at Netflix as we couldn't find season three. Ah, whoops! Um, largely because it's not released until next year, <laughs> um, as I subsequently discovered. Uh, so we we watched the end of that on the aircraft. I finished off Peaky Blinders. I'm I'm sure you're aware of mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that series, are you? Yeah. So I finished off the the last season of that. Um, and that's kind of me wrapped up. I've got, um, what did I download? I downloaded a few episodes of Vikings. Yeah, I've watched a couple uh, of seasons. Could be a season of it? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't watched any of that. So I, I, I essentially I download some stuff for, for the aircraft. That's mm-hmm. kind of the, the drive behind that. 
Um, and on a slightly related fact, and uh, just as a slight humble, humble boast here, I mean, this might be quite easy for you, but I actually managed to get a VPN working today, which is very exciting. I've never had occasion um, to use one, so it is quite impressive. Well, I mean, the the, the there's two reasons here, um, and you can decide for yourself, dear listener, which one is true. Um, obviously, a VPN is very important for security and the high level of secure data that I handle for my clients in my jobby job. Um, and it also means you can watch Netflix in countries you're not supposed to. Um, so <laughs> the VPN, essentially, you can you you can tell or the, the what I've got at least I can tell it what country to yeah you can uh, make it look as though I'm in yeah uh, so if you wanted to look at things like <coughs> for the sake of argument uh, BBC iPlayer you need to be in the United <laughs> Kingdom um, and uh, fortunately I am in a manner of speaking your computer is uh, so I was reasonably pleased with that. Um, but now I'm a little bit concerned because uh, my office here is down on the sort of it's the basement, but it's not really the basement. It's actually the 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 entry level to the house, but the house is all above it. If you see what yes. I mean. Um, and my router and Wi-Fi is upstairs. Ah. So how strong the signal is coming down here may be an issue that I might have to look at and then get Wi-Fi extenders and all sorts of good jazz, which will test my my limited knowledge to its extremes, but there you go. Just whack a cable um, out the window, down the side, and in the other window. Yes. <laughs> uh, I have looked at, you know, whether I could just, you know, put some sort of uh, little cable ties and, <laughs> and root it down the wall. Um but uh, yeah, no, hopefully we'll get around that one. But so there we are. I do now, hopefully, whilst in Cyprus, have the ability to watch TV. Whether whether we'll use it or not, who knows? Um, what else have I been doing? Oh, listening, listen. I've been doing lots of podcast listening. I'm going to get sort of shout out to um, some of my favourites. Yeah, far away. Which I, I imagine there's going to be quite a big overlap with you here with um, RSVP. Been listening to that mm -hmm. recently. And then uh, take note. Um, which is yep, cool. Uh, the two guys, um, I, I love the the premise of their show where they actually just read out a couple of notes that they've taken in, in the previous week. Um, the Pen Addict, which was my first stationary podcast. Which is that I'm, a big uh, one? I'm still a huge fan of. Sorry? Is that a big one? I haven't heard of that one before. Oh, what, The Pen Addict? Yeah, sounds small. Yeah, yeah, you should check it out. You'd kind of like it. Some some guy does does pen cases. Some other guy does podcasts. Yeah, you know, can't see it lasting. Yeah, you might like it. Uh, then there's uh, uh, the Madhouse that is the Erasable, uh, which, again, I'm pretty sure everyone's heard of that yep. one. Um, New Kid on the Block, uh, BYOB Pen Club. Oh, I hadn't heard this one. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a whole gang of of, uh, of guys talk on that one. Um, and one. consequently, it's slightly chaotic because you don't know who's saying what to who. <laughs> um, and there, I, I believe that on occasion, adult beverages may be taken. Mm. Um, but I listened to the first couple of those the other day when I was up in London. That was, uh, that was great fun. Uh, and then my usual diet of tech podcasts, uh, which again, I know you listen to some of them. I know you listen to Analog and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So... Um, if you've listened to the latest analog, then you'll know what I'm talking about when I say a big shout out to Casey Liss, 
because he did the good thing. Um, and all those guys are up at uh, WW um, at the moment. So they're all getting very excited about Apple's uh, developer conference, which I think started today, did it not? Yes, something like that. Don't tend to follow it too closely, yeah. but I, interestingly enough, no, I, on the topic of Macs, um, I needed a new computer to edit on in work, to edit 4K video. And there just happened to be a, I think it's a Mac Pro is the technical term. Uh, I call it the trash can Mac. Okay. Another yeah. one that looks That's like a, a trash can. So there's one of those mm-hmm. kicking about that I can use for editing. So that'll be moved into my office shortly. But um, yeah. No, it's kind of a fantastic machine that looks quite literally like a garbage can. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the the replacement for that is what um, the the Mac um, I'm I'm doing air quotes here power users are waiting for. Ah, okay. Um, is the it's due um, if not this year then early next, but it's going to be the sort of you know or it is rumored to be similar to the trash can in that it's going to be a, a modular computer. You're going to add your own monitor and all that sort of stuff um but it's going to be super super powerful imagine that a computer that you can add your own parts to i mean apple think of everything (laughs) indeed (laughs) um because yeah it's been that's been a huge sort of uh point of contention for a lot of mac uh power users as as they define themselves Mm -hmm. Um, that there's been no real focus on on that line, and there was a big uh, there was a big sort of round table where people were invited to give their opinions, and this is Apple listening apparently. I dare say it'll it'll be some superhuman massive thing, um, and those that that love it will love it. Um, but increasingly, there are less and less of those, and people, strangely or not strangely, I suppose, but people's um, desire for big powerful computers has been almost wiped out entirely by the fact that you know the what a smartphone can pack as a punch smartphones and cloud services yeah there's a lot of offloading of the processing yeah it's all it's all around phones and then uh, tablets yep. and uh, and then laptops and then standalones you know that's sort of the the order of things and that seems to be the way the things are going which well, that's the way they go that's the way they go um, reading, uh, reading, that's the last of them, isn't it? Okay. So what am I reading? I'm, I'm not reading. I'm listening to on, uh, on audible, mm-hmm. a walk in the woods by Bill Bryson. Yeah. We talked about this before, um, which is just great. Um, makes me laugh out loud. Um, and I finished that one. I don't know if I mentioned it last week, but, um, yeah, the blog, it's got some imagined. Yeah, it's an imaginative title, like how to make money online and build your own hundred thousand dollar blog, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Um, which was fine. It was great. Yeah, you know, I'm interested in, in developing my blogs a little bit. So I was listening. Um, I think many of the tips um, I will probably leave to one side. Um, <laughs> but one or two of them, I thought, oh, hang on, yeah, that's a good idea. So uh, not a waste of my time. Quick, quick read, and uh, you know, it's nice to have a bit of balance in your reading. Yeah, and sort of consuming life, if you like, isn't it? And I see you have succumbed and bought a new issue of Analog. Is well, it's the it's the newest one. It's not a, it's not any newer than the last one I was reading, but I'm still reading through that, and it is oh, so good, so so very good. And I noticed actually a few listeners had messaged in saying that they had just rediscovered this because we talked about it and had picked up 
completely opposite to me picked up digital versions and were able to pick them up and read them for cheap, which I really should do, but I'm being very stubborn. But really good to see people uh, rediscovering if they maybe read it years ago. Okay, so what about drinking? Are you drinking anything, TJ? Nothing exciting. Just, uh, what is it, dihydrogen monoxide? Hydrogen monoxide. Oh, H2O. Dihydrogen monoxide, yeah. H2O, <laughs> the good stuff. Um, and I'm on, uh, well, pretty much the same, actually, now that it's uh, so late. But I had a, had a beer with my supper. Lovely, um, lovely. And yeah, the, I... In, I drink more beer in Cyprus than I do anywhere else in the world, just because it's it's kind of cold and light and fresh, and it's uh, I find really hot climates not the place to drink wine. Um, but good lord, I, I feel like a barrage balloon most of the time, sort of bloated. <laughs> All the carbs get from drinking beer. <laughs> I'm showing my age again. Right, and something. Amazing about a nice cold beer uh-huh. in the sunshine. Yeah, it's just Can't just it. the second and the third one are not always the best idea in my limited experience of these things. <laughs> now, uh, parish notices. Um, just before I left, in fact, um, we were flying on Saturday morning and Friday lunchtime. Claire, um, Claire popped round to collect the CEO and take him away for his little holiday. Uh, and delivered to me a whole pile of mail um, after a couple of weeks. Yay. Of very, very quiet sort of on the mail front. We got we got four pieces of individual mail. It was very exciting. Um, we Wonderful. Got, yeah, we got a letter from Ian in Cambridge. He didn't give me a surname, so I think that's probably for operational security. He's keeping a low profile. Um, mm-hmm. And he had some ideas for topics, one of which we're actually going to talk about tonight. So we'll come back to that, I would say. Um, And then um, our most far-flung piece of correspondence, we got one from Hong Kong, from a gentleman called Davis Ho, uh, who he's uh, he's very like you, TJ. He makes videos promoting the analog. Um, Yeah, I'm going to have to look this up. If I can find the link, I will put it in the show notes. Yeah, well, uh, he he was asking us for some advice on how we come up with topics. Um, I didn't really have the heart to to say in the reply. Well, about thirty seconds before the rest of the uh, episode, somebody sends somebody a note, and we work from there. Sometimes we just ask other people, and they give us a crib sheet to work from. That's it. We ask uh, we ask listeners, and they come up with amazing ideas. Um, we got a we got a letter from. The the mighty Dave Tubman, who I know you know, I think we name checked him last episode. Uh, who's he's threatening a London get together? Although he's got that uh, that popular problem of a jobby job. Uh, it's playing mm. havoc with his uh, passion projects and social life. Um, and sure then a postcard from. Oh well, uh, London. It is the capital of the world. It is written. Um. And Robert Killington, who sent us a postcard, uh, just thank you for mentioning him. So now that we've mentioned him again, I expect another postcard, Robert. Thanks very much. It's a vicious circle. Um, but no, uh, as always, everybody who writes uh, in person uh, gets a response. And given my line of work, that response will almost invariably include a notebook. Um, so there we go. I've, I've cracked life. There you go. A life hack, everyone. Bribe people into writing to you. <laughs> That's the way to do it. <laughs> it's very nice to get letters, and it's it's wonderful to see people 
all over the show, all over the place, writing in yeah, and listening. Amazing. And certainly the Slack as well has been picking up with people uh, joining on there and different industries, different places in their lives, different interests in stationery. And it's really, really cool. It's really interesting. Yeah. And some of them know how to use Slack, uh, which is great because uh, they can <laughs> yeah, teach us. Better than I do. <laughs> And what was it? Yeah, Slack on that topic. Um, the best name for the collective noun of people who use our Slack. Slackers. It's probably been done before, but it tickled me. So we're going to go with it. Absolutely. I'm, as, I, as I said before, my mother has been calling me that for 35 years plus. <laughs> so are we ready to move on to the, the meat of the matter, the actual topic of the episode? Absolutely. What is it, TJ? Take it away. So you've all read the title, you downloaded the episode, you know where this is going, but perhaps not the direction you thought it was. Investments, but not stocks. Stationery. So tell me, if anyone is going to answer the question, would you invest in stationery? I think perhaps you are uniquely qualified. <laughs> well, yeah, I bought the company. Uh it's that Victor Kayam <laughs> reference again. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I I came at this from a whole load of different angles. I mean, obviously, from a personal point of view, um, one of the attractions of pocket notebooks, as was, um, was that my daily life would involve um, choosing, curating, touching, playing with, testing, talking about, writing about, selling uh, something that I really enjoy using, i.e. a pocket notebook. Um, and when I took the company, my intention was always to expand that remit to, to include larger notebooks and um, pens, pencils, writing instruments in some way, shape or form. So um, clearly from that point of view, I thought the investment was, was something worth doing. And part of that, I think definitely is is very personal. It's a it's a passion project. Um, yeah, it's it's not something I would recommend as a, a great way of making a lot of money. <laughs> at, <laughs> at the moment, I've taken I've taken some some very nice uh, negotiable currency and turned it into slightly harder to negotiate notebooks. Um, but I'm guessing <laughs> that uh, well, I'm not guessing. I'm putting my faith in the fact that ultimately that will become a business that is self sustaining and. God forbid, might even make a profit. Um, on a personal level, when you talk about stationery and investments, I'm I'm a user, not a collector. Um, there are, I'm sure you've come across, well, I know you have because you, you hang out in the same Facebook groups as I do. Um, there are people who are, uh, well, you uh, call it what you like, passionate, um, compulsive, perhaps might be an unkind word um, or shall we just say very driven uh, collectors and there are companies who um, who you know feed that uh, that collection impulse so if you look at some of the guys that we're huge fans of um, the the field notes the the black wing the um, right notepads all of these guys are regularly um, pumping out limited editions 
and yeah. the secondary market on on this stuff um there's a conversation going on on erasable as we record um around the the famous stroke infamous blackwing 211 which i think is probably the you would know better than i but i suspect is the best selling or fastest selling blackwing ever yeah i think i have about 12 or 13 of them kicking around in a box well, um, if you were to put that box on eBay, you would get $300 or so for it. Um, that's kind of where a box of 12 211s uh, sits at the moment. And, you know, one person was 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 very open about saying, yeah, I'm, I'm about to spend that money because these are missing from my collection and I want them. And somebody else was saying, are you mad? Well, you know, what are you doing? This is a $20 box of pencils from a couple of years ago um you know you pay your money you, you make your choice um you know some people get very very involved with that sort of completionist side and they want to have every single edition and they want the box in pristine condition um and you have the guys who want that plus a spare set that they can then sell on to fund the rest of the hobby and uh, and then you have people like me who go, oh, new shiny pencils. Let me buy them and use them all. Um, and then next yeah. quarter, I'm immediately destroy them. In love with the next limited edition. Where do you sit on that? With regards to the Blackwing stuff, I mean, this is part and parcel of the Blackwing mythos and sort of history, this kind of scarcity and then high cost associated with it. I don't really get it. Uh, I kind of understand people want to try them, but I don't want to get the completionist thing again. I'm a user. I, I hoard things because I like them, and I zealously overestimate my ability to use things. So I gather too much and don't use enough. It's not that I'm not using any. It's that I'm just not using it at a fast enough rate to keep up with acquisition. Um, certainly the, the kind of nuts figures that we're seeing for some of these pencils i mean my first reaction when i see oh three hundred dollars for 12 pencils is give it 10 years you know mm -hmm. if it's selling for three hundred dollars now two years after the fact give it 10 until no one has them and then put them up i love using stationery that's why i got into this is because i like to use nice stationery um i like to have nice notebooks nice pencils and enjoy the things i'm using now that is not dependent on cost. You know, a nice pencil doesn't have to cost $300. Um, a good notebook doesn't have to break the bank. You have several that I'm sure are well above average notebooks you would have had used in school and things like that that are very reasonable and you deliver them straight to the door. So it really depends on what you want and what you're prepared to pay because these things are, you know, you could effectively fulfill the same purpose with pennies worth of stationery, you know, a cheapo office pencil and printer paper would affect the same thing you're trying to do. So you don't need these things. You don't need nice pencils. You don't need nice notebooks. It's all about what you want and what you enjoy. And the investment side of this, I think, comes in where do you care about this enough to want to spend money that you know is probably... Not necessarily too much, but it's over the norm. Are you happy with that? Because the benefits that you personally get from that outweigh the cost 
and therefore the investment you're making is worthwhile to you. And I think there's a there's a very fine line between, oh, this is an investment in myself for my own happiness, and this is something I want really badly because it looks nice, and I'm going to pretend it's an investment, but in reality, I don't really need it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm sort of very much of the same, same mind. I mean, I don't use uh, the cheapest notebook from Tesco's or Target or, you know, whatever country you live in, the, the equivalent, mm-hmm. the, the cheap supermarket notebook and the cheap supermarket pencil. Not because um, I don't think that they, they work. I'm sure they work perfectly well. But I do enjoy using a really nice pencil. This Tombow is lovely. My black wings are lovely. Um, the various and sundry pencils that keep coming at me from, from all directions, I'm sure, <laughs> are all lovely, and I'll enjoy exploring them all. And, you know, a black wing, particularly in the UK, costs more than than uh, some very fine pencils that you can get in the UK. The, the, the Stadlers, the... Um, Karen Dash, that well, no, Karen Dash are probably about the same price. In fairness, but Derwent, <laughs> you know, there, there's lots of nice pencils around, as you say. Um, I don't mind paying what's effectively, um, let's use the famous sort of tech uh, analogy, the, the price of a cup of coffee extra to get hold of um, some pencils that I'm going to really enjoy, and I'm going to get that sort of premium enjoyment i'm going to have paid for it but we're not talking huge amounts of money here if you're lucky enough to have to have a few a few good in the bank um, yeah i've also um i can i can say honestly i've bought some montblanc pens now i bought um a three pack a three pack that's probably not the right phrase but a presentation set of trilogy edition charles dickens montblanc um, way back when, um, it was actually it was uh, at a charity auction being run by the great great granddaughter of Charles Dickens, in fact. Um, and I bought those as some sort of corporate trophy thing. I didn't really know much about pens, to be honest. Uh, and you know they're lovely. It's a great set. Um, I immediately threw the box away um, and therefore devalued them by about thirty percent instantly. Um, <laughs> but I've since then I've bought. Oh, what maybe well certainly one more limited edition two more limited editions um both of which i bought um second hand uh and you know that without i don't want to dive down the the rabbit hole of mont blanc because they've been uh hugely contentious for years for reasons i don't quite understand but uh, the basic premise is that a Stainless steel nibbed pen goes up to a certain value um, in terms of the mechanics of the pen, the machine that you're buying. And yeah. anything beyond that price is about the aesthetic. So um, if it's got, let's pick a brand from Nike on it, then you might pay a premium because it's a Nike limited edition fountain pen, for sake of argument. Similarly with a gold nib. Yes, the gold that's in the nib will will increase the price of the pen. But once again, there is a ceiling on what the mechanical price of the, of the fountain pen will be. Beyond that, 
is about the aesthetic. It's about managed scarcity. So with the Mont Blanc limited editions, there are only X, Y, or Z made, and you get your little certificate with it and the number and all of that good jazz. Um, and that's used to pump the price. And then once those limited editions have been sold out, there's a secondary market that, that exists. Uh, and those prices may go up or down depending on what's fashionable and what people are feeling. And people who collect Mont Blanc are very passionate about their Mont Blanc. And like in any circle of people, you'll get some who are, you know, frankly, a little bit pushy, a little bit arrogant, um, who feel that no other pen can can shine a light or get close to what a Mont Blanc offers. Um, and that's mm -hmm. an opinion, and this is a very subjective thing. And okay, great, that's what those people think. That's brilliant. Um, others will turn around and say that you can get a pen that will perform as well as a Mont Blanc for a fraction of the price. Um, and if you prefer a stripped-down aesthetic, um, then it's going to seem much better value to pay £300 for a pen that's absolutely superb uh, as, a, as a writing instrument than £3,000 for a Mont Blanc, which may, in your opinion, not be as good. Um, again, it's entirely subjective. I mean, I don't care. If you, if you like the Mont Blanc and it makes you feel special and it's perhaps something that you bought for a reason or for a celebration or for a memory, um, then fantastic. All power to you. Enjoy it. Love it. I, I've got mine and yeah. I get them out occasionally and I really enjoy them. I would say I don't think they're the best pens that I own, <laughs> but I'm still absolutely delighted with them. And uh, I, I think it's unlikely that I'll ever part with them. Um, but at the same time, I don't feel that they they confer some sort of special status upon me or special expertise. If anything, they demonstrate to me how little I know. Um uh, they're really nice, they're really pretty, but I've also got, you know, Pilot Custom 823, which I think is a, a, a superior pen. Um, it's, I don't think it's as aesthetically pleasing, but as a performer, it's a, it's a brilliant pen, it's gorgeous. Um, and I've got other fountain pens that cost a fraction of that, which, you know, I really, really enjoy. I quite like steel nib pens. And you know, again, it comes back to are you a user or a collector? There are people that buy fountain pens and never ink them up. You know, which just <laughs> mystifies me. Or field notes that they are never open. I suppose if you're playing a market, then fine. You, like any other market, um, you know, it can go down as well as up. You can only, or you should only do this with money you can afford to lose. Um, because these aren't government gilts. <laughs> you know, they're not treasury bonds. They're, they're, they're bits of kit <laughs> that may or may not be desirable or fashionable to people. I mean, if you look at notebook brands, there are some who are, I would say, probably on the rise. And there are some who are in a bit of a trough where public perception yeah. has changed. Um, and, and ones that weren't, were eminently collectible are not as collectible as they were. Um, uh, to your point, I think you're probably right. If you wait around five years, then you might find those that are not collectible now will suddenly be very collectible then. Who knows? Um, I, I don't really buy into the secondary markets. Um, I don't do it. 
So, you know, when I'm running low on on certain limited editions, uh, I don't whack the price up, um, which I could. Sorry, whack the price up. It's not a very good phrase. Is it? I don't use a dynamic pricing model, um, <laughs> a la Ryanair or EasyJet. Um, if if I was selling them at £10 a pack of three, I will sell them at £10 a pack of three until they're gone. Um, what I occasionally do is I put a shout out to, uh, um, in the middle of the US night. I put a shout out to my British customers saying, guys, don't hang about because I know what tends to happen with, with my American brands is that when the US runs out of stock, there are some savvy collectors who keep an eye on, on Nero's notes and they will come and swoop and clear me out of um, of stock when when they can't get any in the US because they know then that stocks are getting very, very low. And to me, it's just, just weird that we pay uh, all this shipping, you know, <laughs> they get shipped over to me and then a US customer pays me to ship them all the way back again. It's just, wow, got to be in the post office. What a great business that is. I um, mean, it's kind of the the group... What's the word? We're all buying into this fantasy that they're very, very important. We need to have them and they're worth all this money. I mean, are they? Yes, because people will pay it. But, you know, are they fundamentally worth that amount of money? Probably not. But again, it all comes down to, you know, some people have more disposable income to throw at these things. And if they truly value it, if they really want it and it will make them happy, then what's wrong with them spending their money on it? What's wrong with yeah. them putting that money towards it? But it doesn't mean that you should define what you want and the things that you collect and the things you invest in air quotes in by other people's metrics, because I think that's where ruin lies. If you try and go, oh, well, he invested in that for himself and really I should invest the same amount of money in myself. No, I think it's extremely subjective. And I think... Yeah, and you know, I think the point that Ian raised in his letter was, you know, are there some areas where one might reasonably say this is somewhere you should probably, if you can afford it, you should probably spend a little more. Um, and one of the examples he yeah. used, which yeah, I, think I think that's is probably reasonable. a good one, and right in your wheelhouse is um, a um, is it a cum master? Sharpener or a Pollock yeah, masterpiece versus uh, whatever you can get for Tuppence Halfpenny in in W. A. Smith, for example. See, that's an interesting one because yes, I agree. You should invest in a quality sharpener because if you get a good pencil and you have a bad sharpener, you're going to have a bad time. If you get a good sharpener and you have a great pencil, it's going to be a great time. Mm -hmm. But you do not need to spend mega bucks. The, one of the best sharpeners I have is my Classroom Friendly, which is a rotary sharpener that sits on my desk and work. It is mm. incredible. It is the best sharpener I've ever used. It's the rotary crank handle. So you put the pencil in, grabs it, you spin it around, pull it out like a classroom one. Mm -hmm. It's marvelous. I think it was like £25 or something to buy and import because it's from America. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. I can buy a pack of 20 Apsara long point sharpeners. They give a very similar point for four pounds. And I can get 20 of them in a box for four mm -hmm. pounds delivered to my house. Do I still love the rotary? Yes. Could I replace it with a series of cheapy Indian sharpeners? Yes. Will I continue to use both? 
you betcha. So it really, really depends mm-hmm. sure. on what you want. And, no, I mean, and I think, you know, when when I look at it, um, the one that came to my mind was the the point protectors, mm-hmm. where the Black Queen uh, point protector, I, I forget the price, which is terrible because I sell them, but they're, they're not cheap. 12, I think. Um, and they're essentially a little bit of metal that you stick on the end of your pencil to stop it, stop the point breaking. Um and there are plenty of um, cheaper alternatives. You can buy little rubber ones and uh, and bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. And I think, you know, again, it's it's all about personal choice. For me, it's worth paying for the for the metal one because I only carry pencils inside my pencil case. So I'm, I'm touch wood, he said nervously. I'm never going to lose one of these um, protectors. Um, so yeah. I'm only ever going to buy. I mean, I've bought three because there are three colours and I want to have all three. Um, and they will last me, I suspect, for life. Whereas I think the little rubber ones probably have a shorter sort of half-life, if you like, in that they will yeah, decay I think so. and they will get damaged and they'll be less robust. Um, so for me, it's worth paying the extra. But again, you know, your mileage may vary. You might be quite happy using one of those little rubber ones and then throwing it away and putting another rubber one on that. And I dare say you can buy, you know, 10 rubber ones for the price of one metal one. Yeah. I think as well, there's there's elements to this that you learn more as you collect more. So the longer you've been using nice stationery, the longer you kind of immerse yourself in this subculture, the more you realize, oh, I know where to you know, the corners to, to cut there and I know that this isn't really necessary or I can get something 80% as good for 20% of the price if I just go here. You know, you learn all these little tricks of the trade and I think it's really important to put the time in. So it's very easy to say, oh, this is an investment. I'm getting this for myself. I, I'm going to use this all the time. It's really, really great. I love it. It's amazing. And you get the thing and you use it twice and then it goes in a drawer and it's not really an investment. It was just a, an impulse buy. So I think it's a really important to, to know in your, your your own self what is an investment and what is just retail therapy because mm-hmm. it's sometimes fun just to buy stuff. I think we all know that. It's sure. fun to get that rush of endorphins by you know filling up the basket with things that look good and that excite you and then buying them and having them arrive. And then once they've arrived, you go, hmm, kind of want more stuff. <laughs> you know, you're chasing the the endorphin high rather than the collection. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that, and I've I've definitely been there where I've bought pens um, for the sake of buying pens, and then yeah. they've arrived, and I thought, hmm. and I I look at my pens now, and okay, I'm reasonably happy with most of them, but there's a few that I think will probably turn up as um, uh, disposals. Somewhere on Nero's notes, I'll say, look, is anybody after one of these? Um, Because I kind of bought it because I thought I desperately needed one. But I have maybe five or six fountain pens that, for my personal use case, are probably, you know, a step above anything else that I've got. Um, Yeah. And my use case varies. I mean, I go on long hikes and stuff, and I like to take a fountain pen, weirdo that I am. Um, so, you know, for those types of events, I need something really, really robust. Um, and you know, people talk about things like Coeco sports and, uh, I've got those Coeco lib puts that they're, they're wonderful pens. Um, 
particularly for that use case. But, you know, when I'm sitting at my desk, yeah, I want a bigger pen. It's nothing, nothing more complicated than that. I want a bigger pen in my hand because I'm sitting at a desk in a, in a different environment. Um, but yeah, I think it is very easy to get into collecting for the wrong reason. We talked about this in burnout, didn't we? Where, um, you know, make sure that you're, yeah, you're spending the money on things that you want rather than spending the money and enjoying the spending the money. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about knowing how you actually feel about something, not what you on the surface think. Um, and it's not easy to do and it takes time and effort to learn what you're actually thinking because it's not what you think it is. It's not the snap decision you make. Um, it's what you feel six months after the fact and you go, hmm, didn't really need that or hmm, I wish I'd gone with orange instead of blue. You know, it's it's yeah. making those hard calls and asking yourself the questions at the time. And interestingly, I find one of the most sobering things uh, for like the excitement of getting new stuff is is working in my particular job where I'm, some would say, accosted with new technology and toys and things to play with all the time. You know, weekly basis, something new and exciting comes in. And it's marvelous. It's really, really wonderful. But it does mean that my personal kind of, oh, I wonder if I could get that or I want to maybe buy myself one of those has completely dropped off the face for most of it because I'm going, eh, I just don't want to work. Uh, work will get one. I don't need to do that. I can play with someone else's. You kind of, I realized how much of the excitement and enjoyment and preparation was for the acquisition of the thing rather than the using of the thing. And so if you can borrow or look at or use someone else's or one through work or friends or whatever, you kind of go, oh, don't really need it now. I've I've done the the acquisition in, in inverted air quotes. And now I can just kind of enjoy it every now and again, but I don't need one of my own. Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, I mean, part of this is, as you say, having a, a robust process. And yes. when I hear people going through that, I mean, you do hear this a lot on podcasts where um, I suppose backpacks is a big one for people. Um, I, that might be because I listen to a lot of tech podcasts, but um, okay, I need a new <laughs> backpack. And then you hear some of these people who go, okay, this is why I need a new backpack. And these are my use cases. And these are my must-haves. And these are my nice-to-haves. And these are the things I've really enjoyed in previous backpacks, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I start off listening to this very skeptical, thinking, oh, it's a backpack. <laughs> How hard can it be? <laughs> um, but then as you hear the the people going through it, I actually think, oh, hang on, actually, what they're doing here is exploring where the, the compulsion is coming from. They might not know they're yes. doing that, but that's what they're doing. And I, I, I've done it myself where I thought, oh, yeah, I need to get one of these backpacks that I can do this and I can do that and it'll be great for me walking to work and it'll be there, blah, 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 blah. And once I go through that process... Usually I find myself arriving at the point where I go, that's the backpack I need. I've got one. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, no no end of, change, okay, changing the color or, you know, changing the design. Or Fine. But actually the backpack that I first thought of is probably still going to be the backpack that I need because I've 
that's why I bought it in the first place. Um, yeah. But it is a useful process to go through that. And I've done that now several times where I've been looking at things going, okay, so what I need for this is I need this bit of kit or that bit of kit or this bit. Of, and every single time I've gone through and go, actually, I've, I've got that bit of kit, sort of. You know, it might be slight variation on it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the reason that I don't have um, really sort of uh, high-powered wheelie bag sort of, um, you know, cabin luggage uh, is because I don't like them. <laughs> and yet still every month I try and convince <laughs> myself that I need one. I have no idea why this is happening. Probably because of advertising. But um, spotting the difference between... Um, investing in stationery or just indulging in stationery or just indulging. Indulging is an excellent word. That's the thing. I think indulging in stationery is great. It's fine. I do it. So um, if if you open my my writing box, my little garden leather writing box, it's got nice notebooks in it. Um, Notebooks that are not going to make my words any better. (laughs) They're not going to make my handwriting (laughs) any better, but I'm going to enjoy using them. Um, yeah. And that's an indulgence, but I am. That's a really good way of thinking of it. And they're, they're not sort of gold leaf, and they're not worth a small fortune, because that to me is where you're getting into that retail therapy that you're talking about. Of you know, I've got to have this amazing thing because it's going to change everything. It's not going to change everything. But if you can afford to buy a nice notebook and you want a nice notebook, get one. Um, likewise with a pen or a pencil. Yeah, that's really interesting because it's it draws a lot of parallels. The stationary stuff draws a lot of parallels in the, in the way we think about it. And just when you said indulge or invest, that's a really good way of kind of quantifying the two different states I think that can be in. Because it's a little bit like food. You know, if you're investing in your health, which is something I'm trying to do now with, with my health and trying to look after myself a little better, I'm still in that student mentality. And so student mentality says you buy the cheapest possible thing and you make it last and you just kind of make do with what there is. And every now and again, you can maybe indulge in something, but mostly it's just like get get the most calories that you can for the least amount of money. Mm-hmm. And now that I have a jobby job, I'm going, hmm, maybe I want something with less saturated fat. Maybe I want something that is better protein, less carbs. And I'm thinking about the things that I'm putting into my body and the, the food that I'm picking and the decisions I'm making, you know, about snacks and work and what I'm drinking and how I take my coffee, all these little things that add up calorifically or otherwise. Um, and I'm saying, okay, the investment I'm making is I'm only buying organic butcher meat or I'm only getting high quality steak for that. I'm not going to do it with frozen value sausages that are 90% not sausage, you know, things like that. Those are investments. Buying a donut is not an investment. It might be really, really fun, but it's not an investment in anything except fun. So it's an indulgence. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're absolutely right. And it is, um, I mean, I've been, uh, I suppose, from my 20s onwards, I just started getting bigger and bigger physically. Um, I'm I'm what used to be called a bon viveur or a bon vivant. Um, put me in a bar, and I well, pretty much guarantee that you're going to have a good time. You're going you're to have fun. Um, I can I, attest to that. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, I, I I love to party, and I 
uh, I overindulge in, in drink and I overindulge in food. I love to eat. I love to drink. I love to have a good time, all of those things. Um, and sort of getting to the point of going, okay, this is all great, but these indulgences are, ex- they're taking, they're taking a toll. There's a cost to this, not just in money. You're extracting something. But in the impact it's having on your health. Because if you continue to be, um, you know, big overweight. I I was the, um, have you seen Four Weddings and a Funeral? I haven't, no. I've heard of it. I've never seen it. Okay. Well, the the funeral relates to um, a big, larger-than-life character in a kilt, who loves to eat and drink. He's as gay as a lord, um, so we're not similar on that one. But um, he essentially kills, uh, spoilers everyone, uh, he keels over at one of the weddings and becomes the funeral. And there's uh, there's an amazing um, eulogy given by his partner, uh, which sort of everybody of a generation um, we'll, we'll remember the poem, he was my east, my west, and blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm that guy. Big, big, huge waistline, um, rosy red face, uh, lots of laughter, and dead by 60. That That's kind of the, the path that I was on. And choosing to change that is, as you say, it's an investment. It's about saying, okay, look... Um, can I still have all those things that I enjoy and can I still have a great time in a bar? Well, yes, you can, but you have to make better choices. You have yes. to um, be a little bit savvy about how you choose because actually if I'm in a bar for two hours drinking, uh, let's say four beers instead of eight beers, I'm still going to be having a good time. In fact, some would argue I'm probably going to be having a better time because I'll, I'll know what day of the week it is. <laughs> um, but I'll be having less of a negative impact upon my health. And if I then uh, choose to exercise more, to eat more quality, but less quantity, which I think is tying in with yes. what you were saying, then those investments pay dividends. Um, you know, you get to my ripe old age, and I can say this now because um, many of the our fellow slackers uh, are, in, are in my age group rather than your young whippersnapper age group. (laughs) And we're all looking at um, the importance of health. And if anything, I think you're ahead of the game thinking at at your age. Because, you know, I have peers who are not in the best of health, who have had health scares, and whose options for the next however many years are limited by that. And that's that's quite a scary thought, the idea that um, your indulgences, if for want of a better word, can can you, can extol such a extol is the wrong word can extract such a you know a high price where they can turn around and say, yes. well, yeah, you want to go and live la vida loca. I mean, my plans to come come and live here in Cyprus and um, play some golf and enjoy the heat and all of that sort of stuff. That's all great, but the minute your health starts suffering, then it becomes quite scary. You you yeah. need to have good health to do that. But I think that's that's part of it. It all ties in. You're unlikely to put yourself in an early grave by buying too many pencils, but the logic still stands. You know, 
is this an indulgence or is it an investment? And I know that I run through a process of, you know, do I really need this? Yeah. Do I need this? Do I want it? Is this just a phase? You know, is this thing that I think is going to change the way I do X actually 15 minutes of, oh, this is quite cool. And then the next week I'm on to something else. Because I've done that. I've done the, the bopping from interesting tidbit to interesting tidbit. You know, will this positively impact my life and my hobbies and my interests? If that's a yes, then buy the best you can afford. That's advice that I was given by my future father-in-law. Buy the best you can afford at the time. And I think it scales very nicely for a lot of different things. Yeah, I think it does. I think you're right. I mean, when I saw your note here on investments, life and beyond, (laughs) um, the the thing was... um, Margaret, the current Mrs. Lennon, um, right now has bright pink hair. I mean, we are talking... Yes, quite a marvellous photo. ...in your face pink. And she was at the hairdresser and uh, sent me a message saying, do you think I should go for it? And showed me the the colour it would go. And I uh, very sensibly texted back to her saying, it's your decision. (laughs) I'll be happy either way bets well and truly hedged um and then i said look you, <laughs> you you don't regret the things you do you regret the things that you don't do yeah and you know you can't live your life uh God, how many platitudes and cliches can i get into one sentence he's going for hours uh, you, you can't <laughs> live your life as a rehearsal it's uh if you want to go and get that Mont Blanc, if that's your grail pen, you want the Mont Blanc or you want the custom or you want the um, uh, the Blackwing 211s and you want, you're going to have to pay $300 for then, you know, don't, don't deny yourself that. Assess whether you can afford it. Assess whether it's the real thing and it really is going to make your life better. And if that's your thing, if that floats your boat, crack on as far as I'm concerned, go for it. Um, here we go, a couple more platitudes. You can't take it with you. There are no pockets in shrouds. You know, all of these yeah. things are true. But understand what you're doing. Understand whether you're indulging. And if you are, say, I'm indulging. What you've got to be careful of is where you confuse the two things. Where yes. you say, I'm going to buy these things because they're an investment. You might be doing that, but more likely you're going to buy those things because you want them. It's an indulgence and you've assessed that you can afford it. In which case, great. Um, Likewise with those life choices (laughs) that we were talking about. TJ and I giving advice on life choices. What is the world coming to? (laughs) But yeah, if you're choosing to be, you know, the life and soul of the party, to live hard, to work hard and play harder, and God, the amount of times I said that in my 20s. Um, that's great. But actually, are you doing that because it's what you want to do? Or are you doing it because you haven't really thought about it too much? Um, yeah. Buying things that you want, going after things that you want, buying the better things, or as uh, your very wise sounding father in law said, get the best you can afford at the time. I think is a great way to live. Um, I know far too many people who deny themselves everything for some mythical future 
where they say, okay, when I retire, dot, 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 I will. Yeah. And I think, again, I may have mentioned this before, my father died four years after he retired. And I don't think he really had the time to get in everything that he wanted to get done that he'd put off until he retired. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't, the, the deferred plan doesn't really work long term. You know, there's too many things can happen. There's too many variables to change. But it's one of the hardest things to do is know what you actually want rather than what you think you want because it's all these tiny little white lies we tell ourselves every day. And it's something I'm going through at the minute because we're looking at houses and I kind of mm-hmm. had an idea of the house I wanted. I'm like, right, it's got to be this. It's got to be this many bedrooms. It's got to be this kind of area. You know, This, 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 this. These are must-haves. Non-negotiable has to be these. And you start looking and, you know, there's some properties that fall into the price bracket that we're looking at with the, the things I was asking for. And you went and looked at them. And because it's like one of those, you know, pick, out of three things, pick two. You can never have all three. You know, you got the big house. It's got all the things you wanted, all the rooms, all the, the space. But it's dilapidated because mm-hmm. no one's going to sell you a house at that price that is nice. True. Or you find one that is gorgeous, way really good quality everything's top notch it doesn't need anything not even a lick of paint but it's tiny mm-hmm. so it's really we went and looked at a different house about a week ago and it was significantly smaller than the other ones I've been looking at and I walked in and thought oh this is so nice there's so little that needs to be done to this to make it a, a home it's not a building site it doesn't need 30 grand to make it airtight all these little things that you think of course I mean, that's a stupid thing for me not to know. But until you go through the process and go, oh, there's where I went wrong. Don't really care about that, actually, now that I think about it. You don't realize. And it, it's lessons that I'm hard learning by making silly mistakes. And Megan's standing there going, yeah, I know. I told you this three weeks ago. <laughs> we could have looked at this one before because she is a wonderful, incredible woman who knows far more than I will ever forget. But ultimately patient with me and I go Meg I finally worked it out I don't really care about X she goes yeah I know can we move on so yeah I mean the I mean that's a great example that you met the the house hunting thing because that that is really truthfully where you learn the nonsense that is expectations and you <laughs> learn the nonsense that we tell it ourselves yeah um you, you can from my own experience, I know it. <laughs> no, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. Oh, yes, I want it. Um, or uh, the, the sort of numbers game element. Go and see every single house, whether it be too small, too big, too cheap. Too yeah. expensive. Just go and see them. Um, because you'd be amazed what you learn about your own choices, as you said. <laughs> um Margaret and I did. We didn't want a new build. We definitely didn't want. No, we don't want this. We don't want that. We bought a new build. Um, then we moved out of the new build. Um, you know, Margaret would not live in a village. No way would she live in a village. No way am I living somewhere with no street light. Oh, like that house. Let's live there. But there's no street lights. It's in a village. That doesn't matter. Um, it, it's it's it really is because you you build a you build an entire case. You're like a sort of legal prosecutor in your own mind you build this whole thing as to why a b or c won't work but then you have an emotional reaction mm-hmm. to a property and suddenly it's right okay this is the one 
Um, every house that we've bought has, has <laughs> been like that, has been not what we were looking for. Yeah. And it's just, it, it's a funny one. You you do learn a lot about yourself and what you want and what you expect and maybe what you don't know you want by just looking and making decisions and, and looking at stuff and going, hmm, what if? So it's a learning process. None of us are very good at it. I think it takes a lot of time to become okay at it. And unfortunately, you just got to put that time in. But being aware that your investment isn't necessarily an investment and being aware that it, you know, is this maybe just an indulgence I'm playing off, I think is very beneficial. Because if you are aware of it in your own head, you're kind of going, hmm, do I really want this? And if you can truthfully tell yourself, yeah, I really, really want this. I think it'd be really fun to use. It'd make me really happy. Then like you say, you only live once, go and get the thing. It doesn't, you know, it's not going to break, if it's not going to break the bank and it's going to make you happy, fire away. Otherwise, have a think. Yeah, and particularly, um, certainly in the world of stationery, don't don't get yourself into debt for stationery. <laughs> of all the things. Yeah, it's really not worth it. <laughs> Well, I actually, I've got to go get a, a small loan because I saw some black wings I want to pick up. There's, uh, they've gone up to five hundred dollars, and I think they're a steal. Yeah, but look, on eBay right now, in within the space of five minutes, you could spend two thousand dollars on a few packs of field notes and a few packs of black wings. Yeah, that, that that exists. And for those people who are choosing to do that, fantastic. Yeah. You know, I suspect that many of them know what they're doing. Many of them are planning on flipping them, you know, buying them in at one price and selling them out in a year or two. As you said, what are 211s going to go for in, in 10 years? Um, it'll either be an awful lot of money um, or it'll be zip. <laughs> that would be my prediction. Um, but, you know. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat, just don't get yourself into hot for it and don't think that this is some sort of investment that you can can bank on. That was a good chat. I enjoy when we get deep about things that don't necessarily need to get deep about. <laughs> well, there, in, in a phrase, is podcasting encapsulated, I think. <laughs> Platitudes and uh, allegorical chats. You keep your allegoricals to yourself. I'm telling you, allegorical. Um, <laughs> right. Now, uh, well, should we hit yellow buttons at some point? Uh, we'll do our sign-offs and then I think we're, oh, we're finished. Oh, yeah, about that. Okay. So, I've been Stuart Lennon. And I've been TJ Cosgrove. Remember to make the past, the present, in the future. This, as always, was 1857.